Amen. You may be seated. Please open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 4. Romans, chapter 4. I'm going to read and preach verses 13 through 16 this morning. Paul's been talking about how we're justified by faith and not by works of the law. Now he changes the channel from justification to heaven, to the promise of a new heavens and a new earth for all believers. And he makes the point that that promise is not fulfilled through us keeping the law, but through us believing in Christ. The promise depends on faith and rests on grace, as Paul says, not on merit, not on works of the law. And we're going to look closely at these words of truth together and consider how they apply to our own hearts and lives as God's people today who are heirs according to promise, as Paul says in Galatians 3.29. So let's look to the Lord in prayer together and then we'll give our attention to his word. Let's pray. God, we recognize our total dependence on you as we come again to your word this morning. Without your help, we cannot rightly understand or rightly apply your word to our hearts, to our lives. And so we ask for your help now. Help me, help all of us to see the truths you've revealed to us in these verses. Help us also to delight in them with all of our hearts. Please enable us to do that now by the power of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 4, reading verses 13 through 16. These are the words of the living God. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null. And the promise is void, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The word, promise, as well as the concept of the promise, factor prominently in these verses, as you can see in your sermon notes. Therefore, we're going to look first at how the promise is fulfilled through faith, verses 13 through 15, and then the promise rests on grace, verse 16. In verse 13, the first verse of our passage, Paul asserts three things about the promise, who it's made to what it is, and what it's based on. Regarding who the promise is made to, he says there at the beginning of verse 13, if you look there again, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring. His offspring in this context refers to his spiritual offspring, that is, to all who believe in Christ. Galatians 3, 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham or the offspring of Abraham. So this includes us who are believers today. 
This promise is made to us also. It's made by God, that's implied here, and it's made to us, to Abraham and his offspring. And let's remember together that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Sadly, we sometimes break our promises, don't we? But God has never broken a promise, and he never will. A father might say to his children, I promise I'll take you to get some ice cream after dinner, but he might forget, or things might come up that are outside of his control, and he's not able to keep that promise. But our God never forgets, and he controls all things, and nothing is able to keep him from keeping his promises. He keeps all his promises to all his children, to all believers. And let's keep that in mind as we consider together this particular promise this morning. Well, secondly, what is the promise? For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Now we need to put on our thinking caps here because you could search through the Old Testament all afternoon and not find a single verse that says, Abraham, you're going to be heir of the world. But Paul's not quoting chapter and verse here. Rather, he is summarizing the promises God made to Abraham. In particular, the promise of a land, the promised land of Canaan. And the promised land of Canaan foreshadowed the ultimate promised land of heaven, like we sang about earlier in the hymn, On Jordan's Stormy Banks I Stand. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham understood this, at least to some extent. It says that by faith he went to live in the land of promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Hebrews 11 also says that he desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And he realized that here he had no lasting city. He sought the city that is to come. So he understood on some level that Canaan pointed ahead to heaven. The promised land of Canaan pointed ahead to the ultimate promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. So when Paul says that the promise to Abraham was that he would be heir of the world, he means that he would be heir of the world to come. He means that he would be heir of the new earth together with all his offspring, together with all true believers. God promised him and God promises us that we will be heirs of the world to come, that we will inherit the new earth, that we will be heirs of God himself and fellow heirs with Christ, Romans eight seventeen. You can imagine what it would be like to be the heir of someone like Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. But as believers, we are heirs of God. And there's no greater inheritance imaginable. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
God has promised that we will be heirs of an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, that is being kept and guarded for us by God's own sovereign power. That's what He's promised us, and He will keep His promise. We'll talk more at the end of the sermon about how these truths should impact us, but let me just say here that these truths should give us hope. They should give us hope in the midst of whatever circumstances we are in. So what are your circumstances this morning? Perhaps you're feeling overwhelmed by the start of a new school year. Perhaps you're feeling discouraged by all that's happening over in Afghanistan. Perhaps you're experiencing the pain of grief and sorrow over the death of a loved one. Perhaps you're experiencing physical pain this morning because of disease or disability or just the decay of old age. Perhaps you're going through a time of unrelenting temptation or a time of intense persecution in your life. Perhaps you're just tired. You're worn out. You're worn down by the cares and responsibilities of life. But whatever your circumstances are, let me encourage you to take heart, to take courage this morning in light of these truths. Receive by faith the encouragement these truths are designed by God to give you. Think of your inheritance. Think of what you're going to inherit as an heir of God himself. Ponder the promise that God has made to you and that God will keep for you. You've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. So bring some of that future hope back into your present struggle. Don't meditate on your circumstances. Meditate on your inheritance. Let these truths give you hope in the midst of your circumstances, whatever they may be. So first, who's the promise made to? We saw that it's made to Abraham and to his offspring, his spiritual offspring, including us as believers. We saw, secondly, what is the promise? It's that we would be heirs of the world, of the world to come, of the new earth. Now, third, what is the promise based on? Or what is the fulfillment of the promise based on? Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. That is, the promise is fulfilled through faith, not through the law. In other words, God doesn't promise heaven to those who obey his law, but to those who believe in his Son. God doesn't promise heaven to those who are righteous in themselves, but to those who are righteous in Christ by faith. The promise doesn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Like Paul said in Galatians 3, 21 and 22, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The promise is fulfilled through faith, not through our obedience to the law. Then Paul continues his line of reasoning there in verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. 
Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying that if you're an heir by adhering to the law, by your own obedience to the law, then first of all, faith is null, and second of all, the promise is void. First of all, faith is null. Faith is nothing. Faith is of no value because the fulfillment of the promise is either by works or by faith. It can't be by a mix of the two. This is an either-or situation, not a both-and situation. The fulfillment of the promise is either by faith or by works. It cannot be by faith and works. It cannot be by faith plus works. Listen to Galatians 3. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We receive the promised inheritance also through faith, not through works of the law. If we try to add our works to the mix, it messes everything up. It's no longer purely by faith. Our works are like mold that ruins the purity of a piece of bread or a strawberry. So if we're relying on works of the law, if we're relying on our works to get us to heaven, it won't just slow us down. It'll make it so we never get there. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null. And secondly, the promise is void. The promise is empty. The promise is no longer valid. The promise will not be fulfilled. Galatians 3, again, the law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So the law is not bad, we should recognize. The law is good. It's the law of God, after all. It's a reflection of God's holy character. And if it's rightly used, if it's rightly related to, it does not annul the promise. If we allow the law to serve as a mirror to show us our sin and drive us to Christ, if we allow the law to serve as a lamp to show us the way to follow Christ by faith, then the law doesn't make the promise void. The law sweetly complies with the promise. But if we're relying on our obedience to the law for the fulfillment of the promise, if we become heirs by adhering to the law, then that makes the promise void. If the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. And the reason the promise is thereby made void is given in verse 15. Look at verse 15. For the law brings wrath. The law doesn't bring the inheritance. The law brings the wrath of God. If it's the case that you bring about the fulfillment of the promise by your obedience to the law, 
then the promise is void because that's never going to work. Because the law brings wrath. The law brings wrath because of our sin. It's not the law's fault, it's sin's fault. It's not God's fault, it's our fault that that is the case. The path to heaven by means of the law, that path actually ends in the wrath of God. Like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, the way to the celestial city wasn't the way that Mr. Worldly Wiseman sent him on. He sent him to the village of morality, to the house of Mr. Legality. And that brought him to the foot of Mount Sinai. And flashes of fire came out of the hill above him, if you recall from the book. No, the way to the celestial city was the way that evangelist set him on. It was the way of the wicket gate and the way of the cross. It was the way of faith. For the law brings wrath. The law can't save you. It can only condemn you. Again, Galatians 3, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Listen to what Paul said about his own experience regarding these things. Romans seven ten through 13. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. If there's two trails that you could take to get to heaven, the law trail and the faith trail, the law trail is closed. You can't get to heaven that way. Because of your sin, it's all blocked up. You can only get to heaven by the faith trail, by trusting in Christ for the fulfillment of his promise. Robert Haldane wrote, if the fulfillment of the promise was dependent on man's obedience to the law, the obtaining of the inheritance by faith would be made void, and so the promise would become of no effect. Thus, the possibility of obtaining the inheritance would be destroyed altogether. When Paul says in the second half of verse 15 there, but where there is no law, there is no transgression, just to clarify, he's connecting the dots between the law of God and the wrath of God and the sin of man. The law brings wrath because the law exposes sin, is the idea implicit. Where there is no law, there is no sin. Where there is law, it exposes sin. Romans 3.20, through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law doesn't lead to life. The law leads to death. The law leads to wrath because it exposes our sin. It doesn't bring us up to heaven. It brings us under the wrath of God. So where does that leave us? It leaves us at verse 16. Our second main point, the promise rests on grace. Look at verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. 
in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Notice the connection between faith and grace. It depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. Faith and grace go together, not works and grace, or not faith and merit. The fact that the fulfillment of the promise is through faith and not works is so that the promise may rest on grace and not merit. Romans 11.6, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. If the fulfillment of the promise of heaven was based on our works, then it wouldn't be by God's grace. Romans 4.4, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. When you finish your work and you get wages, you get a paycheck... That's normal. Your employer doesn't come to you and say to you, I just wanted to give you this gift. No, it's not a gift. It's, it's what you've earned. But when you're at your birthday party and someone gives you a gift, you don't say to them, how much do I owe you for that? Because it's a gift. So you don't earn it. You don't buy it. You receive it. Eternal life is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't pay for it. You receive it by faith and by faith alone. The promise rests on grace. The fulfillment of the promise is a gift of grace. And that is why it depends on faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And because the fulfillment of the promise rests on grace, therefore it is, as Paul says, guaranteed to all his offspring. If it's by God's grace, then it's guaranteed by God. If it's by our works, then it's not a guarantee. In fact, Because of our sin, it's not just not a guarantee. It's not just uncertain. It is impossible. But thankfully, the fulfillment of the promise does not rest ultimately on our shoulders. It rests ultimately on God's shoulders. It rests on God's grace. Listen to a few verses. Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Or John 10, 27 through 30, the words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. 
The promise of heaven rests on grace and is guaranteed by God to us. Paul says, not only to the adherent of the law, and just to be clear, he's referring to Jews who believe, just like back up in verse 12 where he talked about the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham. Paul says, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, meaning Gentiles who believe. Abraham, who is the father of us all, since it is those of faith, again, who are the sons of Abraham, Galatians 3, 7. So the promise of heaven is fulfilled through faith, and the promise of heaven rests on grace. And like I said earlier, I want us to think a bit more about how these truths should impact us. So let's focus on that in the time we have left this morning. I've already mentioned that these truths should give us hope in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Let me say two more things. First, these truths should give us assurance of salvation. Because what God starts, He finishes. His preservation of the saints enables and ensures the perseverance of the saints. If it was all up to us, we would mess it up for sure, wouldn't we? But it rests on grace. It rests on God's shoulders, ultimately and finally, not ours. And this can give us great assurance, great confidence. Not presumption and laziness that leads to ungodliness, but confidence in God and trust in God and rest in God that leads to greater holiness. Listen to Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, paragraph 2. This certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the inward evidence of those graces unto which these promises are made, the testimony of the spirit of adoption witnessing with our spirits that we are children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. The promise of heaven is fulfilled through faith. The promise of heaven rests on grace. That can give us great assurance as believers. It can give us the peace and the rest and the contentment that flow from that assurance. We're not supposed to always be worrying about where we stand with God. We're not supposed to always be looking over our shoulder. We're not supposed to walk on eggshells through the Christian life. Rather, we are meant to have faith and hope and love and peace. And that comes from knowing that the promise of heaven is through faith and rests on grace and is guaranteed by God himself for all of his children. Secondly and finally, these truths should bring joy into our hearts and into our lives. Joy and gladness and rejoicing. And don't you sense a need for more joy in your life? I know I do. 
And I'm not talking about just being a happier person, though that's part of it, we could say. I'm talking about there being a stronger connection between what you believe about what awaits you and how you feel and how you live and how you carry yourself in your daily life. Sometimes there can be a disconnect, we all know, between what we believe and how we live. Sometimes we live as if we weren't on our way to heaven. Sometimes we live as if we've just forgotten that we're on our way to heaven. Sometimes our attitude and our demeanor and our words don't reflect the reality that we are heirs of the world to come by grace through faith. We would think it odd, wouldn't we, if a bride on the morning of her wedding day was feeling all sad and gloomy and was walking around with a frown on her face. We'd probably want to say, cheer up, it's your wedding day. But when we think about what awaits us as the bride of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, it should cheer us up. It should bring joy into our hearts. It'll help us to rejoice in the Lord always. Think about what we heard earlier in the scripture reading from Revelation 21. A few verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And on and on it goes. We're not there yet, to be sure, but we're on our way there. And when we remember that, it'll help us to be more joyful. Remember what we sang earlier, no chilling winds nor poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore. Sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. That's where we're headed. That's where the plane we're on together is landing. That's the final destination for believers. A few more Sabbaths here shall cheer us on our way, and we shall reach the endless rest, the eternal Sabbath day. The promise is fulfilled through faith. The promise rests on grace, and it is guaranteed by God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your promise that is fulfilled through faith and that rests on grace. And we pray that you would give us hope and assurance and joy as we journey through this life, as we remember where it is we're headed. Help us to live in the present in light of the future. And help us not to lose sight of what's to come 
in the midst of all the challenges we face in this life. Help us by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.